Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. And I'm Tony. We are still knee deep in tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 126, recorded on July the 2nd, 2020. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. We're all here. Yeah. Nice to see you again. And, and, and what's even more weird is that teams didn't mess things up at all. Everything just worked this time. I'm, I'm wondering where we're going to have any technical issues. Yeah, that should be a first, first, right? Yeah, if everything works out, we really should keep, keep recording through summer just because we are on a roll. Might be. And then speaking of a roll, today's headlines are going to be, we did a new user group. That worked fine. Microsoft pulls pretty much all Facebook advertising. And there is a Microsoft initiative for helping uh, people who is out of a job due to COVID-19. We also have some news in Azure Data Lake. There is a huge Teams June preview. There is a new security landscape from Trusix. There is a new cybersecurity landscape report from Trusec. And of course, what's new in Intune this week. So let's go for it. What is this user group we just whipped up? So I'll start the same way as I did at the actual user group. When we first arranged the Global Azure Bootcamp in Linköping three years ago now, uh, in 2017, we uh, also said that we were going to found... um, a user group in our local community, uh, which didn't happen until now. But as Alexander usually says, we are like Microsoft, so it takes time to get out of the starting blocks. But once we get up to speed, we are pretty darn tough to stop, just as a very hungry penguin. Oh, you had to put in a penguin, didn't you? You always have to put in a penguin. We created the Eastern Sweden Microsoft User Group, which covers, behold, eastern parts of Sweden or southeastern part of Sweden. And Glasgow. <laughs> Glasgow, apparently. Uh, and we also had some other uh, listener, listeners, attendees from the UK. Um, so speakers for the first event were Sarah Lean, cloud advocate at Microsoft. And she spoke about how to be successful with your data center migration. And I found that to be very interesting and very useful. It wasn't really technical, but a lot of good points and some really good ways of thinking and showing what's really important to make that first migration happen. So thank you, Sarah, for being a part of our first meetup. And then Alexander spoke about... I did a a kind of a dry run or a test run of a new session that I'm putting together, which is... Azure uh, Networking 101 for the Azure SQL Server DBA. Because it turns out that most DBAs don't really know how networking works. And working on-prem, it's easy to get lost with the with the whole networking stuff because you most often have some kind of tame networking person that takes care of it for you. In Azure, you probably find that you need to do more and you also need to know more how the service works in relation to the rest of Azure 
because otherwise you might find yourself in both at, at risk for data exfiltration and also your networking traffic might take routes that you did not quite expect. To, to follow up on that, do you think that we will have dedicated networking staff in the future? So network experts? Yeah, for the foreseeable for the foreseeable future, yes. That's an extremely interesting question because there is something called um, Microsoft Virtual WAN. And Virtual WAN is basically networking as a service. You can either whip up everything like you always do in Azure with your own own resource groups and, and putting stuff in, in one network that, and then you peer in the networks and yada, yada. Virtual WAN takes almost that away from you. So you're, you're going for networking as a service. But having said that, I, I think I agree with Tony because we've heard for 20 odd years now that the DBA is going to go away next year and we're still here. And I think it's going to be the same with, with networking people. Is it going to be the same things next year like we did last year? Absolutely not. But the, the way to do networking, that'll stay, I think. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. So for East Sweden Microsoft User Group, we will be posting new dates and new speakers as soon as I get to it. But we'll probably try to meet up about once every month. And as soon as we can meet up uh, in a physical event, we will do that. Otherwise, we'll keep doing virtual. I, I'm very much looking forward to, to doing the in-person events. Uh, I'm doing oh, the yeah. Swedish Power BI user group. I'm going to do half of them in person and half of them online going forward. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Going to the next one. So Microsoft has just pulled all the Facebook advertising following, shall we say, a bit of a controversy with Facebook. Yeah, and let's start by adding that Microsoft isn't alone in this. No, 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 no. They're just one in a long line of pretty big companies that says, yeah, no to Facebook. And I think that is a very good thing. Yeah. And to add to that, and then Mark, then Alexander can explain what's, what's all of this about. But keep in mind that Microsoft used to be the third largest advertiser on Facebook, paying them $116 million yearly. So it's a pretty big customer. So what is this all about? So the, the reason for this whole thing is basically that uh, there's there's a boycott going on um, of advertisers on social media because marketers are expressing, as they say, unease with how Facebook handles misinformation, uh, i.e. fake news, and hate speech, including its very permissive approach to, shall we say, problematic posts by... Uh, certain people? Yeah, certain people in a White House. Based on that comment, this episode won't be published on Facebook. No, absolutely not. As it is, Starbucks, Diageo, uh, that's 95 and $23 million spent on the platform last year. Honda, Levi, Patagonia, Microsoft. Yeah, wow. And I think we, we had a long discussion. I, I'm a... Um stand in for my colleague at another podcast a swedish podcast over the summer apparently and we had this discussion last tuesday if this is right or wrong and how this will affect social media and democracy and things like that mm -hmm. 
And um, I think I find it quite interesting to see how the world will react to this because it's actually taking a stance. And the question is, how far can companies push this? I agree that this is a correct way of doing it or a correct stance to take currently. But say it were the opposite, that you had other companies that were supporting a different view on a certain social media. Would it be right for them to say that we won't advertise here if you don't uh, ensure that the content that we don't like isn't connected to our advertising in some way? Yeah, you're you're definitely showing the, um, it's called the slippery slope argument. Yeah. And that is exactly what this is. And a slippery slope, it, it, it can either be a, a real slippery slope, which does not have any reason, i.e. No, no, nobody uses their brain, or it can be a situation where people actually use common sense and apply that. So far, in my view, common sense has prevailed. Yep. But I agree. And as soon as you toss in a few million dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars, well, common sense tends to kind of take a back seat in that conversation. So it's definitely a very political move from all involved, in my view. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's like the old saying, you know, money talks and yeah, yeah, the rest of it. Yeah, it's a good one. And I'll, 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 I'm looking forward to see what's happening, as you said, Simon. Yeah, and also it will be very interesting to see how this affects sales for Microsoft. Because like, this is my logic around this. If you are prepared to spend $116 million in advertising on Facebook, you are expecting a higher return than that. So I wonder how this will affect sales. Will they earn more money? Will they earn less money? Will it be no difference? Yep, I, I hear you. Is the the fact that they're taking a stand, is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing on the bottom line? Yeah, absolutely. I know what I hope, but yep. we'll see where the world is pointing. Yeah, and that's the thing. If it works, then it only emphasizes the stance. But if it doesn't work, then it will be very interesting to see how companies continue. Because I fear that most people just don't care. Yeah, I, I hear you. And that's my view on social media in, in general. I don't care about social media. I think it must be viewed with such an extreme amount of skepticism. Uh, but people do generally do not apply the the amount of skepticism to to the the social media as i i th think they they need to and of course i'm painting very very wide brush i know that but that's that's in general so moving on to something more fun and something that we hopefully will uh, <laughs> something will be... more fun isn't this fun then isn't this great isn't this a very good it's way great, of... but i don't think uh, it's fun wait isn't this a very good way of doing advertising? Because that's exactly what it is. It is indeed advertising. And I think it is an amazing thing that Microsoft will launch an initiative to uh, help people who have been, uh, they, they lost their jobs due to uh, COVID-19. Yeah, Microsoft claims or have a goal of helping 25 million people worldwide and before the end of the year. I have, haven't read enough to understand 
how exactly they will find these people. But the what they say is that they will make LinkedIn, GitHub, and some Microsoft services, um, like Microsoft Learn and such, free for people that have lost their job, as you said, due to COVID, and help them retrain in um, digital digital skills. So the cloud, development, AI, IoT, the, the areas where we definitely see a huge demand, both now as well as in the future. And and just to clarify, I think this is a very good thing. And I think Microsoft does it for the right reasons. But it's still, of course, also a way to ensure the uh, the future for Microsoft technology. It's it's both. I mean, it's it's um, a way to ensure that there are people working with Microsoft technologies. They are connecting the Microsoft brand with doing good, and they're probably going to get money indirectly from that. So, in this, in in my view, it's a win win. Uh, did you see that they will be discounting the uh, certification tests as well? No, I didn't see that. That's great. I, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was $15 for certification tests. Uh, don't oh. quote me on that, though, and definitely don't record it. But, um, yeah. I actually found it. Yeah. So, we are making exams with these Microsoft certifications available at a significantly discounted fee of $15. Yeah, well, that's pretty much like a tenth of the price. Exactly. So it's Azure Fundamentals, Data Fundamentals, AI Fundamentals, Power Platform, all the Azure exams, Power Apps, Teams, Security Administrator. That's nice. Yeah. So I, I actually wrote and passed AZ-104 today, and that is $165 without any, any discounts. So going down to 15 is well done, Microsoft. Now you're doing it right. Yes, absolutely. And what's also done right is that they have done some changes to Azure Data Lake. So Azure Data Lake is a, it's a normal storage account with a checkbox of a hierarchical namespace. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but it changes how the storage works. And since those changes are so large, a few things that you have in a normal storage account has not worked, such as a static website. You could not do that on a data lake storage. Now you can. That's in in preview. We also have data lake storage file snapshots. And this is huge because suddenly you can do multiple snapshots or just one snapshot or whatever you want to do with your snapshots on a data lake storage. And considering that you're going to have a lot of data in your data lake storage, this is a very useful way to, to have very quick recovery should you change something. So so wait, wait. Can can you take a full snapshot of your entire data lake, regardless of size? Yes. Isn't that quite impressive? Well, it's not that hard. You just need to have a crap ton of storage, which you do <laughs> in Azure. I mean, the, 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 the technology is not difficult at all. No, no. It, it's just that it's a really cool feature and you can make some significant changes to that data so i'm guessing that's something that you will love because you can play around with huge amount of data do whatever change you desire and then move back without having wasted that huge amount of data 
true. Uh, that might not be the way that I want to use it, but it, it is definitely a use case. And and I'm not saying you're wrong in any, any way, shape, or form. This is in, in preview. And the funny thing, it's in preview in Canada Central, Canada East, France Central, and France South. That's where it is. Don't ask. <laughs> so it and speaks French. <laughs> it speaks French. And we have a storage archive tier. That is extremely interesting because you'll have so much data in Azure Data Lake. And very, um, a, a very small amount of this will probably be data that you use day to day. Because generally you take your data and you move it into a kind of an immutable store. You just dump the data as it is. Then you do your thing inside of Azure Data Lake and put it in another place in Azure Data Lake. But you always want to keep the original data. And this is where the storage archive tier comes into play because archive tier is $0.001 per gigabyte. So it is extremely cheap to just store. Now, accessing it is another thing, but that's the point of an archive tier. It is dead cheap to, to store. It's more expensive to, to access. Uh, so what, what was the name of this? Archive tier. So based on your description, it sounds exactly like the kind of retirement home you should be in. Very cheap to store and expensive to move around. <laughs> exactly. I am not entirely sure how we're going to turn that into an episode name, but I'm sure you will find a way, Simon. And the final thing that I want to talk about with Azure Data Lake Storage is the immutable storage. And immutable storage is also huge because it, it gives you the capability to store data in a write once, read many, or a worm state, i.e., once the data is written, the data becomes non-erasable and non-modifiable. And you can set a retention period so you can't touch it, you can't delete it until after that period has elapsed. And you can also put a legal hold on it. So that makes the data non-erasable and non-modifiable until the hold is removed. So that is a huge thing. Uh, really going to add some guardrails to some um, data design, data data warehouse designs. Do you think that will be used for ensuring that the data... So I, I see two ways of using it. One, you can use it to ensure that no one messes up something you have prepared. You, you have done a kind of a data set and you don't want anyone to mess it up or yourself to mess it up. But the other way, and something we have talked about quite a lot is could this be a way to ensure that the that the data you are publishing externally can't be manipulated by anyone and therefore showing a, a false view of that data? Uh, yes and yes. I would probably use this as, again... Uh Generally, you take your, your base data and you dump it into Data Lake. And then you do your enrichments, your, your modifications, your, your whatever you need to do to your data so you can work with it downstream. But you want to leave the original data in an untouched form. And having immutable storage means that you can't change it. So you are safe from somebody touching it. So you can definitely use it the way you were thinking about it. But I would probably see a more reasonable use case for putting immutable storage for the, the uh, base data that gets pulled in. All right, that's great news. So what is also new is a teeny tiny Teams June preview. Uh, so Tony, did you find anything in there you 
thought was interesting at all? Uh, yeah, well, pretty much all the uh, announced uh, feature updates are making Teams <laughs> almost like a completely new application. So yeah, there's a long list of things added to this one. And if I read this correctly, it is actually a preview now in June, so GA will have to wait a little while. But they have been kicking out these humongous feature updates pretty frequently now during the work from home uh, period. So virtual breakout rooms, multi-windows for meetings and callings, uh, attendee limit increased to 300, uh, new experience for launching instant channels. Uh, let's see, what more fun did we have in this one? Uh, new The gallery view where you can see 49 participants at the same time. Not looking forward to that one, actually. I would actually say that I am. And, and from, from his one specific scenario, and that is teaching. Because if, if I can have 49 people on a huge screen and see their faces, that's going to make a difference. Um, I don't know how big of a difference, but it's going to make a difference. Yeah, but your, your case is specific. My, my case is specific. I, I agree. But I'm also super curious about the breakout rooms because Zoom has had that feature for a while. And um, I was supposed to be on a, a conference that was supposed to use them, but they decided not to. So I, I'm curious to see how that works, because if it works seamlessly, it is great. If it doesn't, it sucks. Yeah, but I think really, if, if this can work, it will really change how we see conferences, company meetups, and things like that turning out. Because I did attend a, a a conference, a virtual conference, two weeks ago, IGEL's virtual conference, which worked brilliantly well. So a virtual conference center where you could move around and then enter breakout rooms, go to an exhibit, a virtual exhibit, all of that, and it worked very, very well. And that was driven by Zoom. Cool. Anything more you want to add on the team stuff? Uh, no, I think those were the major points, at least. There's a lot more uh, bullet points in the links that will be provided in the show notes, I hope. Oh, yeah. All right, so, Simon, apparently you've done something at TrueSec again. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that I have done something. Um, but we just released uh, a report over the Swedish cyber threat landscape. And what is that, you may ask? This Monday, TrueSec released their first Swedish cyber threat landscape report. Uh, and it's based on data gathered between January 2019 and May 2020, uh, based on the incidents which we have worked in and the uh, devices, about half a million devices that we are monitoring. And we, the report also claims that we actually have been part of 27% of all known Swedish data intrusions. So that's what it's based on. And it gives us quite interesting facts, so to say, on how, for one, how COVID has affected cyber threats but also how they work, what's attacked, uh, how do they get in, and also how expensive is it. 
So some numbers that I find really interesting to share is that we can see a 70% increase in cybercrimes during April. So as soon as COVID hit, we saw a huge increase in cybercrime, and it's, it's an increase year over year in total as well, but especially April was huge compared to last year. Which day of the week do you think is, is the most common one to get uh, hacked? Thursday? Monday, Friday? No, Saturdays. Because no one is awake and no one is monitoring anything. And it will give them time to make as much havoc as they can before Monday. We also see that the cost of an incident is up 42% in just one year. And that very few organizations still have the surveillance needed or the management needed to protect themselves. And we also see that the most common way of getting access is through phishing emails. And now, during COVID, especially uh, COVID-themed phishing emails, which stands for 53% of the attacks, successful attacks. Yep, so that was actually the one reason I didn't say the weekend, for for instance, Saturday, because... Uh, I also think that the phishing stuff is probably the most common now nowadays and has been for a while, I think. So since people most like most people are not likely to read their emails on a Saturday, that would make it more difficult. Yeah, but the the usual way it happens is that when you get a phishing email, you enter your credentials. Then when do an attacker use the credentials? And that's during the weekends. Ah, so they okay. harvest the credentials and then they use it. So. Saturdays and Sundays are by far the most sensitive ones. So you're, you're saying is that TrueSec is part of 27% of all the cybersecurity things in Sweden. Yeah, we, just to make that perfectly clear, we are throwing people out. We are preventing oh, you're, you're, it. You're part of the solution. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, we are part of the solution. Uh, you're not part not of the part. problem. Okay, just, just no. making sure. And if any one of my managers hear this or our marketing department, please ignore. <laughs> but yeah, we, we are part of the solution in 27% of the known cyber attacks in Sweden. Does that mean that you're part of the problem in 70 plus percent? Or should we move on? I think we should move on because I couldn't possibly comment. I see. So um, you have 30 seconds. What's new in Intune? Well, thank you. Uh, so I would say that the most important aspects in terms of news in Intune, how long and I click the wrong link? Your, your seconds are taken away, dude. <laughs> so what's new in Intune? We have new protected apps, uh, so app protection policies, uh, BlueJeans, Cisco Jabber, Tableau, and Zero for Intune, which is very nice. We also have the um, endpoint analytics, which we have talked about a couple of times in preview. So where we can see how is the actual user finding their digital workplace? Do they, do they have apps crashing, bad networking performance, things like that? We did mention Microsoft Defender ATP for Android. That's now out in compliance policies, as well as the ability to configure web protection for Android devices. And finally, we also have unified delivery of Azure AD 
enterprise applications and Office Online applications in the company portal together with the Config Manager published apps. So now we can actually use Company Portal to surface all our apps independent on from where we are publishing them. And that's just the beginning. There are a ton of new features that have come out over the last two weeks, I would say. A lot of improvements to the Mac management, as an example, as well as uh, Android, especially. So a lot is going on, and I think Intune is also getting quite a push from the COVID situation. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine so. All right, so that was the news, and one news one bit of news was the the uh, the official day of f5 that was yesterday it's also known as the the day of refresh and it's called so because on july 1st all the mvps either well they they get their emails either they are renewed or they are no longer part of the mvp program and i'm i'm super happy to to, to say that both simon and i was renewed as uh, mvps and we came aboard in October 2018, so we've we've been in for a year and a half almost, and, uh, and now we did our first renewal. That was that was something. That was intense, and especially since we we um, had been given some information on when the email was supposed to go out, and neither of us got the email at that point. <laughs> nope. Oh, I would love to be the guy to do the trolling in that case and just send the email out a day later. So there was a lot of issues with the MVP site. I don't think it kind of was, it, it didn't really survive the onslaught of thousands of people pushing F5 every 15 seconds. I don't think it's up yet, to be honest. It's still saying... Um... The site is up, the search is not up yet. No, exactly. But yep, we're in another year. And uh, that kind of segues neatly into, you're running around the world virtually in in july and august and speaking aren't you yeah uh, so i have currently four upcoming events and i can only talk about two because i haven't received official info if uh, i'm allowed to speak about the other two uh, but i will be speaking at the tech gg cardiff event on july 17th so that will be great fun to be back at tech gg they are still running it with city names to gather the community, even though they are doing it virtually. But that's great fun. So I'll be talking about app protection policies with Microsoft Intune to ensure compliance and security. And then Workplace Ninja Summit, the virtual edition, together with Jerry Hampson on August 25th. And then I have two upcoming events, which I hope I will be able to disclose as soon as I can. That sounds amazing. I'm I'm actually slated to speak at the pass uh bi uh, virtual group we have yet to to set a date and that but it's it's going to happen in in er, now early in july maybe in a, in a week or so uh but i'll i'll get back with more information as i as i had it and i think that's pretty much what we have time for this week we're already over time thank you very much for listening to knee deep in tech if you have any feedback questions or would like to be part of an episode please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needypintech.com. We might be back next week. We might be back after the summer, but we will definitely post all the info at social media that I don't think really matters anyways. And meanwhile, take care. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye.
Bye. Bye.